0: Excuse me. <laughs> okay. I will try not to make that thing go off anymore. Good morning. Hey. Is everyone happy? Yes. Hey, I can see faces, man. This is You guys are not as ugly as I imagined. <laughs> that was mean, wasn't it? Sorry. I like to have a little fun, you know me. I like to lighten things up and make things worse if I can. So, anyway. I do need to make a couple of announcements, okay, Re- really just two. The first one is, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, that might distract me, and if not, I'll I'll just keep going anyway. So, um, uh, the first thing is, we're going to do a prayer and praise night, April 17th, so I'd like you to get that on the calendar. So, April 17th, we're going to, it's a Saturday night, we're going to drag the worship team in early, and we're going to come in and just pray and uh praise and worship God, maybe do some testimonies and things like that. The second thing is uh, what I need to answer, uh, tell you about today. So, Michael, I'm going to go ahead and have you come on up. <laughs> I, know, I know you're like, oh, he said, I'm glad I shaved today. So anyway, so uh, it's going to make it awkward for him, but I don't know what else to do. So I'm sorry, this isn't more prepared and more official, but we need to, because of the time scale, we're going to have to go ahead and do this. So uh, several weeks ago, a church in town, the Christian church asked Pastor Michael, if they would come, if he would come and help them get their church kind of strengthen them back up, and so he and I have been praying about that for the last couple of weeks, and he's decided that that's what God wants him to do. So uh, his last Sunday with us on a Sunday morning will be April eighteenth. So. Uh, He'll be going, and so we are sending out a missionary to uh, the Christian church. So I just want you to know, Michael and I are good friends, and so there's no drama here, okay? No, <laughs> Sorry. no, no, no. <laughs> no drama here. We love each other very much. And this is an opportunity to strengthen another uh, church in town, and very brave step on Michael's star, uh, part. And so, anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know that. So April 17th, when we come together to pray, I would like to lay hands on him about the neck and shoulders repeatedly and pray. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And pray over him that day. Okay, you want to say anything to him? No, I'm good. Okay, all right. He's shy, so so don't don't ruin the surprise for the second service. So <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so uh, welcome you guys who are online. Uh, thanks for joining us online today. Today we are. Uh, it's called Palm Sunday. It's uh, it's the day that Jesus came to town. And the title of the message is the day that Jesus went to the big city. And the reason it's titled that is because I'm a country boy, not really a city fella. So that's just the thought that came to my mind about Jesus going to Jerusalem after spending so much time working the smaller towns and the villages of of Jerusalem. So as we get started, what we're going to talk about today is peace and how to have peace and how we enter into peace. And and I want to every sermon I ever give is actually for me, okay? I'm, I'm usually preaching at Michael. Well, I have another name for him, but I'm going to tell you what it is because I don't want you to start calling me that. But uh, <laughs> it's just this, this part of me that's the weaker part, the more frightened part, and the more anxious part of my, my personality. And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with being happy and I have fought many battles with depression and, and just sadness in general. And uh, God has blessed me. And, and, you know, the things that you overcome become the things that you minister in. So I minister in a lot of the things that have caused me great difficulty over the years. So I want you to know when I talk about peace today, I'm, I'm not talking as an expert who's arrived in the promised land telling you to come on over. I'm talking to you as a, as a friend, as a normal, ordinary guy who struggles with anxiety. And so when I talk about peace, it means a lot to me. Because I, in my struggles with peace, I, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with ang- exhaustion. I struggle with being overwhelmed. And I know beyond the shadow of an intimidation of a doubt in Christ Jesus that Jesus is the answer. I know that. But I don't always know how to walk in that. And so today we're going to look at Jesus' triumphant Entry into Jerusalem. This is the day that triggers Holy Week, but you understand that it culminates in Good Friday, the death of Jesus. We start with Hosanna, as we sang earlier. Didn't I hear us sing Hosanna earlier? I was talking to him. Hosanna, and we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. We started the day with Hosanna, the, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but by Thursday night, the one who came in the name of the Lord is arrested by Friday, he's condemned, and then he's abused, and then he's killed. And so, why did Jesus endure all that? Why did he go through all that? It was for our peace. So let's jump into where this, the Old Testament foundation for what happens on what we call Paul, Palm Sunday. In the Bible, in Zechariah 9.9, 9, the, the prophet says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet, he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, riding on a baby donkey. Okay? Verse 10. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. I want you to see here that the prophecy is that the deliverer that's coming is going to come and bring peace to Jerusalem. He comes triumphant. He comes victorious. But the whole point of it is to bring peace. Now, to, to really wrap your head around this, you need to think about the people that he's bringing peace to. When we get to the story in, um, in Jerusalem where Jesus coming into town on a, on a baby donkey. I'm sorry, I just like saying baby donkey. Baby donkey. It just sounds good, you know. It could make a country song, like a Christian country song. Never mind. Uh, so, back, back to the message. As he's coming into town, realize that the people of Israel are oppressed. They're not their own nation. They are in captivity to Rome. Rome could be a very cruel master. So the people of Jerusalem are not free. They are getting by. They are living on the hope that one day God's Messiah will come. And so what you're seeing prophesied in Zechariah, and we're about to actually read the New Testament uh, account of what happened, but what you're seeing is, is the, the people of Israel who have no hope, and, but they have a promise. And that's why, the palm, that's why Palm Sunday is so important, because here we're looking at the people of God who, who don't have any hope close to them, but they have the promise of God that God's going to do something. But what God, what's God going to do? Well, God's going to bring peace. Now, in the Israeli mind of that day, the Jewish mind of that day, peace meant he was going to kick Rome's butt and throw him out. Okay, And so that was in their mind. That was not what was in the prophet's mind. That was not what was going to happen at all. The king would come. He would come triumphantly, but he would come not on a war horse, as a Nebuchadnezzar would have done, or as another kings would have done, he came on a baby donkey. Say baby donkey. You know you want to say it. All right, came on a baby donkey. And the baby donkey is all about peace. I should have got a picture of a baby donkey. I bet they're cute, too. Uh, it's okay. Don't come up with anything creative at the tech table. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> So. Jesus says this in John sixteen thirty three. Before we get into Paul, the, the, the actual event, let me, let me remind you of something that I have to remind myself of often. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you this, all this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I need you to see that there are two realities that we live in simultaneously. We live in a reality that is Jesus, a reality. It's the kingdom, it's the rule of God, it's, 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 it's all of that light and righteousness and stability and eternity. There, every believer lives in that reality. You are placed in Christ the moment you release your sinful control of your life and install him as Lord of your life. But there's also a reality of the world. And the reality of the world isn't so peaceful. But somehow Jesus was able to live in heaven's reality and live with very little concern of earth's reality. So much so that my favorite story is the night that he is in a boat with his disciples and there's a storm raging that would likely kill them all and Jesus is able to nap And first of all, anytime Jesus naps, I'm there. That's my favorite passage, okay? Because I always need a nap. (laughs) But the other thing is, Jesus was able to live in a God reality so much that earthly realities did not trouble him to the extent that they trouble us for sure. Even in his crucifixion, we see him go as a lamb to the slaughter. You see Jesus living in a God reality and while enduring a horrific earth reality. And I would like to learn from that, because I cannot control the world around me. Maybe you figured out, but I haven't, okay? I know you haven't. I'm just being sarcastic. My point is, there are two realities, and today we're going to choose to live in the one that's the one of peace. Amen? Amen. Okay, and of course we're going to look at three things. Why are we going to look at three things? Because I don't have three hours to do nine things, okay? So, three things. <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew 21 two. Jesus instructions to the disciples go into the village over there. He said, and as soon as you enter, you'll see a donkey tied there and it's colt beside it, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he'll immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that we just read. Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a baby donkey. I just like saying it. I'm sorry, I can't stop now. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. I just read that out of the New Living Translation. That's where we get the word Hosanna. Praise God. But it doesn't mean praise God. It means save now. It means save now. We'll come back to that in just a minute. What I want you to see is that Jesus is a king who comes to Jerusalem And he comes in peace. He's not riding into town, as I alluded to earlier, on the war horse, but on this small donkey. And when he comes into town, it's all about peace. But here's the thing. You cannot look at what Jesus is doing and see it as passive, see it as wimpy. See it as calm in any way. What you are seeing when you see the Prince of Peace ride into Jerusalem on this, this baby donkey, what you are seeing is a man who has so much peace within him that he is able actually to enforce peace around him. And so Jesus comes to town as the Prince of Peace, and he comes to bring peace, and everyone is ready for him to bring peace. They're tired of being at war with Rome. They're tired, tired of being oppressed, tired of being accused, tired of all their money being taken away, their possessions being away. And so here comes the King of the Jews. Here he comes, the Prince of Peace. Now, before I go any further with what's happening in the moment in Jerusalem, let me back up about 150, 200 years in the story. This is the second time this happened in Jerusalem. This is the second guy who rode into town on a baby donkey. The first one was Judas Maccabeus. And this is in, it's a, it's a history, it's part of Jewish history. But what happened was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes, uh, Antiochus E. We'll call him Tay. Let's just call him Tay because I'm going to mess his name up, all right? Tay, <laughs> came. he came and he was just a wicked, awful guy and he had lost a battle and he came back to through Jerusalem and he basically threw a fit and all of this was predicted in the book of Daniel by the way so he came to Jerusalem and he destroyed the city pretty much he sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem to defile it and then turned the priest quarters into a brothel he just he just ruined and humiliated the city of Jerusalem and hebrew worship and so three years to the day that that horrible event happened in Jewish history, there was a revolt, and Judas Maccabeus, who was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a type of a priest-king, which Jesus would be, he, he, he leads the revolt, wins, and so he marches, he comes back into town, he rides a baby donkey into town, goes to the temple, purifies the temple, and they, they start sacrifices again and renews everything. Now what he did, which even though isn't in the scriptures that you have in your Bible, what he did is, is a historical cycle. God loves to do things literally over and over again. And is a what he did was he took the book of the prophecy of Zechariah and he, he demonstrated it. And now Jesus comes and fulfills it. Okay? So there's a history going on. What you need to know is that when Jesus is coming to town, people, and you don't know why they're behaving like you're, they're behaving, it's because Jew, Jewish people know their history all the way back to Abraham, okay? And further. And so uh, you just need to, to know that that's what's going on. So th- this, this is picturing these things. Now, the people are shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now! You see, I want you to know what Hosanna means because I want you to see the urgency in the people. They're like, get us out of this mess. Change everything. Which is exactly what Jesus was going to do, but in no way how they expected him to do it. Because Jesus was going to come to Jerusalem and he was going to make a new way. He was opening the doors into the kingdom of heaven through what he was about to do this holy week. Not just into the kingdom of heaven, but into the throne room of God. Basically, Jesus, at his death, you remember the picture of how the veil between the most holy place and the holy place is ripped from top to bottom. That's what Jesus came to do. So when they're saying, save now, Jesus is saying through his actions, I am about to save now. But what I'm about to do is I'm about to fix the eternal problem, the legal problem that exists in the courtrooms of heaven. I'm about to solve that problem. But your earthly reality, it's going to be a while before you see any change in that. Okay? But your heavenly realities, by the within two months from this day, by the day of Pentecost, all heaven realities are forever changed. When Jesus Christ returns through the Holy Spirit into his body, the church, at Pentecost, now the church has access to the very throne room of God, the courtrooms of heaven, and the realities of eternity, purchased through his blood, secured by his sacrifice. He did save now. Do you understand? So when they said Hosanna, it was a prophetic word of what was going to happen. However, as is true with most prophetic words, they have no idea, they didn't have any idea at the moment that Jesus did exactly what they asked him to do, which is so true for us. But that's another sermon. So I want you to see, when Jesus came to town, you see, he, he, uh, he brought peace, he intended peace, and I want to achieve peace, and here's how I see Jesus bringing peace, and the lesson I want to take from this, the first lesson is this, that we can have peace through serving, Or when we do different things. Now, what does serving have to do with what we just read in the account? Jesus came to Jerusalem. The people praised him, cried out, Hosanna. He went to the temple. What's the first thing he did? Cleaned it up. Like some kind of heavenly maid. I want you to see that it was an act of service. He went and cleansed the temple, just like Judas Maccabeus did about 150 years earlier. He cleansed the temple, then he went to Bethany, prayed through the night, went back... Oh, no, I'm sorry, he 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 prayed through the night, cleansed the temple that morning. Then he began to teach, and he began to serve through healing. Teaching is an act of service. So he was serving the people. He was challenging the biblical scholars and challenging the people. All week long he's teaching. Uh, Then he has a Passover meal that he serves to his disciples. Then he washes all of their feet. All of these are acts of service. How did Jesus bring peace to Israel? How does Jesus bring peace to us? It was an act of service. One act of service after another. He serves people. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, for the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. So here's the lesson that we should take from this. That Jesus Christ came to serve, and that's, if we we're going to move into a place of peace, we have to learn to serve one another. Say, Michael, you say that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, What does that mean? We're not good at serving one another. We're better at trying to control one another. And that's why we suffer a lot of anxiety, because we can't even control ourselves. And here we try to control other people so that we can somehow vicariously control ourselves. And so if you want to have peace, here's the first step. Stop trying to control anybody and start serving people. I'm I'm a God's good, you know. He, he's, always, he's always teaching and he's always speaking. I'm not always tuned in, but if I ever get tuned in, it it, it always changes my life. And I'm learning something that last night I was watching a teacher. uh, There was a teaching I'd heard about. I wanted to see a little bit more about it. And I won't go into the details of what I was watching last night or the the sermon I heard. But here, I'm going to do this in the form of a what if. What if there is an actual courtroom in the heavenlies? What if there's an actual judge on the throne? And what if in that courtroom on a continual basis is one side, Satan the accuser, and the other side, Jesus Christ the deliverer. And what if the accuser is always looking for reasons to accuse people? Always looking for evidence to bring in the courtroom to accuse you before God, to accuse your husband, your wife, your pastor, your boss. He's always looking for some some agreement with him. And what if every time we try and control people, we get frustrated. When we get frustrated, what do we do? We start to complain and judge them. What if all we're actually doing in that moment is we are giving the enemy evidence to use against us? Now think of the power of this. What if you and I are giving the enemy ammunition to take down the authorities in our life? Our husband, our, uh, the people that are over us, our leaders... Do you really want the enemy to have more ammunition to use against people who are already broken? This morning, I got up and, and was so convicted by this that I had a season of repentance. And I went to the Father and said, Lord, I, 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 take back, I break off every complaint I've ever issued against anybody. I'm sorry. I did not realize the damage that I could have potentially done. You see, because we can't control, we get frustrated, we get anxious. That's got to go somewhere, and it bubbles out generally in negative speech, complaining, criticism, whatever it is. What if doing that equips the enemy? You say, well, Michael, what do I do? Well, there's also a defense attorney in, that, in the courtroom. There's a defense attorney. You see, the enemy is looking for people to say the same things he's saying. He's looking for eyewitnesses and character witnesses to agree with him. But you see, the Bible tells us that we're to declare Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, the word is homo legale, it means to say the same thing. So Jesus is on, is on the defense attorney's side of this, and he's looking for people to say the same thing that God says. And what does God say? God says Jesus is Lord. You say, how does this apply? Well, I'll tell you what, if I fail my wife and she can't control me and she begins to complain about me and she would have every right to, I'm a human being, I'm going to fail everybody. And and she gives the enemy ammunition. She can break that off and turn it around and go to the defense attorney on my behalf and she can say to him, hey, that I break that off, Jesus is Lord over Michael. I say the same thing Jesus says, not the same thing the enemy says. Because when I declare Jesus as Lord over Michael, I'm pouring the blood of forgiveness and and the light of God's love over him. And now he stands before his Father and stands before the judge, holy and without a single fault, because I've declared over him the Lordship of Jesus. Does, Does that make sense? I know that's advanced level stuff, but hey. My point is, a lot of our anxiety is coming from a place of control. That control is is giving the enemy tools that are destroying people and indirectly coming right back down on us. And so break it off. And instead of controlling, serve. Serve. Was there a single disciple at that table that deserved Jesus, the Son of God? To wash their feet. No. Not a single one was worthy. And yet that's how Jesus honored them. So how can we honor others in our life? If someone's stressing you out right now, here's the path to peace. Find a way to serve them. Find a way to serve them. By the way, I'm not negating boundaries. I'm just saying, boundaries is another topic in this issue. In cases of abuse or attacks or those kind of things, you have to protect yourself. But nonetheless, you can still find a way to serve, even if its service is merely in the mainly in the courtrooms of heaven. So, peace through serving, do different things. Second, peace through truth, think different things. John 8:31, Jesus said to the people, <laughs> I have a timer that I set, and it's like God stops it every week. I look down, and so I always have 35 minutes, no matter how long I go. It's a miracle. John eight thirty-one. The Lord said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Man, Jesus last week in Jerusalem is a whirlwind, man. Holy week is a trip. Jesus did a lot in those few days. But I'm going to summarize, over, I'm going to oversimplify some of the things Jesus did, okay? We already talked about the fact that he taught. He told the people to listen to the instructions of their biblical teachers, but not to do the things that they did. Because they had biblical teachers there that they were right in their theology, but they were wrong in their duology. Okay? I just made that term up. I like it. It may come back like baby donkey. It could come back, okay? He corrected the leaders in front of them, and he, but here's the main thing he did. He warned people. He prepared them for what was coming, a new kingdom, he, and he, he warned them to accept God's new way, okay? So as he's, he's in the town and as he's working, he taught them mainly to be ready, And to become citizens of that new kingdom. And to no longer rely on the kingdoms of men. You see, Jesus is coming at everything. Jesus comes at everything differently. I call it, and I I can't remember who I learned this from. I think it was Brian, some guy named Brian. I forgot his last name. But Jesus is always coming at things with what he called a third way. You see, often they were trying to, to catch Jesus. And Jesus could be particularly infuriating if you're trying to one-up the guy who knows everything, okay? I mean, Jesus was the know-it-all who knew it all, but never acted like a know-it-all, right? So the Pharisees would come to him, and they're always trying to trap him. They would think up these, these philosophical conundrums that they didn't think he could get out of. So they came to him and said, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? In their mind, They're like, this is a a win-win for us. There's no way that he can win. He can only lose because if he says that you have to pay taxes to Caesar, then the people are going to be mad at him because they don't want to pay taxes to Caesar. Amen, hallelujah, bless God me either. And so, (laughs) but if he says you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar, then Rome's going to get him and he won't be our problem. We got him. He's between a rock and a hard place. And so they're thinking in their two-dimensional world, and Jesus is living in 20 dimensions. And so they come in and said, who should you pay Caesar to? And he says, why don't you give me a coin? I don't know if he got a love offering out of this or not. It doesn't say. Give me a coin. Whose inscription's on the coin? Caesar's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God. And he slips away. And he's out of the philosophical trap. And they're like, he could only go two ways. And the dude went a third way. What's wrong with him? Another case, John 8. And this is one of my favorites. They find this woman, they set her, I believe they set her up. The Bible doesn't say that, but I believe they set her up. They catch her in adultery. The reason I think they set her up because the last time I checked, I mean, I didn't do well in biology, but I I figured out somewhere in that class that it takes two people to commit adultery. But hey, you know, I don't know. They only brought one. I'm not sure what the situation was. In their mind, they say, Jesus, this woman's been caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? In their mind... They got it. Their little two-dimensional chess game. Okay? They got him. If he says, uh, don't stone her, then he's dishonoring Moses' law. The people, he's going to lose respect in front of the people. If he says, do stone her, then they're going to break the law of Rome. They don't have the right to stone people in this scenario. Okay? And so, you have this going on. What's Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer is, well, the first one of you that doesn't have any sin, you start. And they realize... That they were done. They couldn't start. And so Jesus sat in there, and he's the only one who doesn't have sin who could actually start. And he says, well, I'm not going to start. I just forgive you. Don't do this anymore. Okay? A third way. What does this have to do? You see, Jesus is the truth. And when you, the more you get connected with the truth and the more you learn the truth. And when I talk about the truth, I'm not just talking theology. I know a lot of good godly men that disagree very much on their theology, but they still follow and love Jesus Christ very, very much. Okay, So I'm not talking about theology, I'm talking about truth. And I'll tell you something about truth. The truth of God is always going to manifest the fruits of God. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control, all of those things. If someone talks to you and they're preaching you the truth, but is coming out of them anger, wrath, and judgment, that's not the truth. They may be speaking true words and true theologies, but their heart is messing up the message. Okay? And so, when I talk about this, I come to my own life and I think of Jesus third way. My first fight, I was a scrapper. No, I'm just kidding. I was a lover. I was never a scrapper. I love to eat and and not not get hurt. And so, (laughs) anyway... I don't know, I was about 9, 10, 11, somewhere in those really important formative years of my boyhood, youth, you know. And I was playing baseball with some guys in our apartment complex, and there was a guy who was the pitcher that day, and he kept calling our team handicaps, and every time he said it, I just got madder and madder. And I had watched a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. (laughs) And in my mind, this was how this was going to go down. I was going to go up, I was going to deck that guy, and he was going to lay down, and it was going to be over Yay, me. <laughs> that is not how it went down. <laughs> I learned a valuable lesson that day. <laughs> and I'm a little mad at Clint over it, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm getting there. Um, about five years, six years later, I was in junior high. I did about 10 years in junior high. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, uh, I, I, for no reason at all, this guy walked up to me in the halls of school one day and just punched me. And I, uh, of course, was very upset, tried to chase him down, but I was fat and slow, you know, all those kind of things. What would Jesus do? You see, a lot of times we like to take Jesus' words and negate them. And what we need to do is actually understand them. You see, the Bible says in Matthew five thirty nine, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, a lot of people call this being passive, but I, I, I say nay-nay. Some dude walks up and punches you. You turn back around and you let him take the other cheek out. You are one bad dude. Of course, I got a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that say, well, once he punches that second time, he's yours. I'm like, no, no. I don't think that's right. Uh, I don't think that's how Jesus did that. Here's how I see Jesus. Here's Jesus' third way. I do not see a passive Jesus that takes a punch or an attack and backs away or backs down. I do not see an aggressive Jesus that goes and attacks people. What I see is a Jesus who takes the third way, and he stands unflinchingly under anyone's assault and never, ever backs down. That's the third way. I don't know what that looks like in the situations you're facing in life. I'm just telling you, Jesus has a different way that comes because Jesus is the truth. And the more you learn the truth, it's going to transform your thinking. The more you connect with the truth of Jesus, you're going to start thinking new and different things and new and different ways. You won't be bound by this reality TV culture we live in today that is driven by stimulus and drama. You'll be able to stand in peace and think something differently. And those, those media tools that are out there to manipulate people and those voices in your head and the voices in the world will have less and less impact upon you as you increase the voice of God's truth in your heart. Does that make sense? You want more peace? Jesus has a different way, a third way if you will, a way that's not like any other way A way that's not defined by people and politicians and media. A way that's defined by truth. And truth always expresses love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and self-control. So, if you want peace, think different. And lastly, if you want peace, surrender. The Bible says in John 5, 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Use a different source. Jesus Christ, I don't know if you realize this, but most of His life was lived directly out of the Scriptures. Most of the things He did, He did because the prophets said that's what the Deliverer, the Messiah, would do. Why do you think he rode into town that day on a baby donkey? Do You think he just got up and said, you know, it'd be cool to ride on a baby donkey. That's not what happened at all. He knew the scriptures. He knew what he was here to do. He knew what Zechariah said. He lived his life according to the Bible, folks. He did what the Bible said. If you want to put it, that's as practical as I know how to say it. He didn't just get up each day looking for his own new ideas, trying to create some new path that was unique to Jesus. He came to do exactly what God told him to do, and what God told him to do was easily found in the Old Testament scriptures. I'm going to tell you, you want to save yourself a lot of stress in life? Start letting the Bible tell you how to do life. Start letting the Word of God teach you and show you how to live. And that's what Jesus did. But then he took it a step further. He took the Old Testament and he did and obeyed and did what it said he was supposed to do. Then he lived his life in such connection with God that he only did what he saw the Father doing. He lived his life in complete and perfect response to Father God. Jesus did not come to live as God on earth. Jesus came to live as a man filled with God. This is important to understand the distinction between these two ideas. Because if if in your mind, Jesus is God on earth and he's doing what God can do on earth, then Jesus is, is not an example. He's the exception. But Jesus told us that we would do the things that he did and would do them and do greater things than he did. He came to set an example. He was teaching us and showing us what life needed to be as we were filled with the person and the presence and the spirit of God. Okay? So you want to have peace in your life? Surrender to God's will in your life. Why? Why, Michael? God promises you power and authority to accomplish God's will in your life. He does not promise you power and authority to accomplish your will in your life. But Michael, how will I get what I need? Dude, you're just going to have to trust God. God that he likes you more than you like you. Has it ever occurred to you that if you followed God's will and you did what God wanted in your life, that he might have such rich blessings and plans for you, that he might bless you to a point that was beyond your wildest imagination? In other words, has it ever occurred to you that God might take far better care of you than you could ever take of you? That's what it means to follow God. When I surrender to God's will, I do what he wants and I trust him to take care of what I need. What a powerful idea. So, guys, I, there, so I've kind of presented, I have presented three ideas that peace comes through <clears throat> surrender. That peace comes through truth and peace comes through service. So let me conclude. We're going to go into a season here of worship and prayer. What, what I want to do today is kind of what we did last week. If you would like us to come pray for you, I know we just don't have a great altar space up here. And so just during the worship, if you just, you have to wave or something. If you're just doing that, I'll, I'll think you're just worshiping. Or Michael will just check on you anyway. And that'll be awkward. You'll know, I'm, I'm with God. You're in me in the God room. Get out. Uh, <sighs> Just kind of wave at me and I'll come pray with you. Also, another thing you could do to respond today is we have a few communion cups and a scripture out over here. If you just, during worship, if you want to go over there, take communion and, and connect with God that way, a couple ways you can connect with God. But here's, here's the things I want you to think about. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come on up. Here's some things I want you to think about. First, am I trying to control someone in my life? Is there someone that I'm trying to control that I can serve? And if so, then, then pray and ask God for the grace to serve and not try to control. It's, have, I, have I connected with God's truth in my life? Have I surrendered to His truth in my life? And some of you, I don't know where you are spiritually. I mean, in regard to your, your salvation. Have you surrendered to God's truth that, that you are a sinner? And I know that stinks and it's not a nice thing to say, but it's just the truth. And Jesus Christ died for sinners. And that if you will... If you will uh, Get rid of you. Have a re- personal revolt against you being God in your life and enthrone Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You can walk in faith. You can become a believer. You could submit your life to God. You could live in truth in a whole way that you never considered. And then for the rest of you, is there a place of surrender? Is there a place where you're trying to exert your will? Nothing will stress you out more than trying to exert your will on your life. And nothing will bring you more peace than to step into God's will for your life. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Let me pray as you stand. Father, I pray that you set your children free. I pray that every person that needs prayer will get it. I pray that the enemy will not stop someone from getting prayer and ministry and prayer ministry in their life. I pray for any soul that has not, they have not made that firm step, that they place their faith in Christ and to declare him as Lord of their life. And I pray for all of us, Lord, we We need to serve others. We need to serve especially those who create grief for us, stress for us. But also, Lord, we need to surrender to you and to your plan, to your will in our life. I pray that you grant us a season of worship. I pray that you merge the throne room with this room and give us a moment in your presence to resolve these matters of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor Steve.